I would be surprised if the the final episode of 2020 was a quiet one. We do have quite a lot to get through. Indeed, indeed. And this is the final episode. It is. My goodness. Do you know, James, we have I did a little bit of research and to nobody's surprise, we've actually done more episodes of the podcast this year than in any previous year. Who'd have how, thought it? How many weeks have we skipped this year? I think four. Four weeks. But the, That's the other... such a small number. Okay, we've not missed, as I say, we've only missed a handful of weeks. But even ones where it was like, hey, you can you record on a Sunday? Okay, we'll do the Tuesday. Yeah. So they were more spread out, but they were still happening very, very regularly. But it's not like, we've done 33 episodes, that's the year done. <laughs> exactly. And so if you compare, I was looking at some of the uh, our, our charts from previous years, and there would be some months where we would maybe do two episodes. Uh, yeah. So... To get to a point where we were, we were doing it literally every single week is great. All we needed was a pandemic. <laughs> That's it. That's all we needed. A pandemic, and here we are. One little trick to become a successful podcast recorder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not even a successful podcast, just a successful <laughs> podcast schedule setter. All you need is a pandemic. And there you go. You're up and running. <laughs> Has 2020 changed anything for you in terms of uh, perspective or... Uh, careers or business or life or, or tell me what's what's your reflections looking back. I know we're not at Christmas yet, but this is probably the only chance we'll get. We're not. I think the biggest impact on my view of the world is just how prevalent idiocy is <laughs> when it's just slightly convenient for people to want to believe in something really dumb. Okay. Because how so? For the big example is being asked to wear a mask isn't really a big deal for the majority of people. Yeah. I know there are some people with legitimate medical reasons to not wear them. And I know there are some people with legitimate triggers that a mask can, can impact. That's not the majority. However, the majority of people seem to want to believe in the dumbest little reasons to not wear a mask. And it's just for convenience. So, yeah. so I, I, I'm not surprised that people are dumb. I'm surprised that people choose to be dumb just so they can make one aspect of their life a little bit more simple and like i wonder sometimes is it just because people are realizing that dental care is quite difficult and oral hygiene is is more difficult than brush than, than brushing your teeth simply and that wearing a mask highlights this to them and they have to breathe their own fumes for the first time in their life and therefore they want to make easy excuses Maybe. to get a wearing a mask it's genuinely confusing i've stolen that joke from i'm sure a thousand toothpaste adverts from by now yeah, I, I'd say for me, in terms of a, a world observation, it's the kind of year where there has just been a massive jump in people diving into conspiracy theories head on. Yeah. I now know of somebody, indirectly, who is not getting the vaccine because they believe there's baby fetuses and fecal matter in the vaccine. Total yeah. nonsense. But I do actually know someone who believes this now. And this is something that in years previous, I would have said, no, it, it's very much on the fringes of society. It's very much a minority view. But 2020 has shown me that actually anything's possible. Uh, uh, if yeah. you start... <laughs> a thread on Reddit saying that somebody made bat soup and that's how we're now in lockdown yeah. 2.0. The wrong kind of anything is possible. It's like the invert of what we all wish. Like we all do wish that anything was possible wherein like if you put your mind to it you can achieve great things. If you can dream it you can do it. No, if you put your mind to it you can believe the dumbest trash just to make you feel a little bit more secure in their world because you don't want to think about politics. Do you know uh, James just a, a tangent here. I once gave a talk 
at my old uni alongside a Commonwealth gymnast. Right. Who I believe was Scotland's first ever Commonwealth gymnast to, to win a medal in 1996. Okay. Or 1994. Right. Something a year in the 90s. And he gave a, a great little talk for 20 minutes or so in which he ended by saying, essentially, if you can dream it, you can do it. Right. Uh, and and I, I went to give my little talk, which was basically <laughs> set realistic goals. And I said something along the lines of, you may dream of being an astronaut, but let's be honest here, you're at Glasgow Caledonian University. It ain't going to happen. Or you may dream of being the fastest person on earth. But again, you're studying at what used to be a college in Glasgow. If you were going to be the fastest person on earth, you would not be here. So you've got to set realistic goals. Yeah. Instead of this idea of... As, sorry, this very brief tangent of anything you set your mind to, you can do. No, you can't. That's not true. It's just not. We shouldn't be telling people that because you're setting people up to fail. Yeah. However, if you wanted to believe in a conspiracy theory, you can do that real easily, apparently. Just anybody yes, in the world is capable of embracing the biggest conspiracy. And it's just it's mind-blowing because it's the same people that won't blame Boris for messing up and won't blame the Tories for messing up. They'll believe massive conspiracies just so it won't be the government's fault. Indeed. Well, back to uh, 2020 reflections. I would say, James, uh, just before I pass the mic so, over sorry, to you here. Sorry. There are also insane people who don't like Boris, just putting that one out there as well. <laughs> okay. Good. Yes, of course. We, uh, you can get these views from every available outlet, not just uh, Tories. So, James, just on the the personal side of things, I would say for me, yes. what I noticed is that in a year in which I was actually confined to my house, I like most people, yeah. for the majority of the year, I actually ended up being, I would say, busier yeah. than I was last year. And okay, fair enough. I wasn't. Uh, in Madrid or in Nice or in lovely places having lunch outside. But actually, because of all the changes that I had to both my main business, but also my freelance stuff, mm-hmm. I was actually having to just dig new trenches to find out new ways of making money. Yeah, And so was, uh, so was the business and actually ended up uh, working far over my contract, which had the pandemic not happened, I'm sure it would have just been another straightforward year, successful year. And that has been, that was a strange one for me because as soon as I saw lockdown coming in March, I thought, all right, this will be nice. I'll get a chance to write some music and, you know, work on my running or all these different things I had in mind. And my to-do list is still unfinished. My, the DIY in this flat is still unfinished because I've been so busy. And that, it it frustrates me, but I, I get it at the same time. And that if I hadn't, put in the work and the effort, then I wouldn't be where I am at the moment or the business wouldn't be where it is at the moment. So I I get that, but it it does still annoy me. Yeah, I find that that's one of the big differences between being employed for a mega company and working from home and kind of being a contractor and working from home is the mega company has a bit more support and therefore a bit more stability and therefore people who work for those companies and, and worked from home actually find their lives being a bit more flexible. Yeah. Whereas other folks who are more used to contracting and going in and out of different offices and working in different spots have found that working from home just ends up giving them less time traveling and more time working. And oftentimes it's for businesses that are struggling a bit more to adapt to pandemic times and therefore are having to put in 
more and more hours and are asking for more and more from their for their employees. And I've seen this in another in other industries that companies are scaling back, but somehow expecting more work to be done. Yeah. So there is this awful balance, but it all comes back to why didn't the government support anybody? If the government gave everybody support, we wouldn't have had people so worried about losing money and we would have had people just not working normal hours. If the government supported businesses better, we wouldn't have had businesses asking their employees to to work huge amounts of overtime for zero extra money because there was no extra money, but the company would collapse otherwise. And it's because there wasn't support. So you're an example of a lack of support. I would say. Well, James, we are making the classic seesaw mistake of uh, running our preamble into the actual show. So let me say, welcome everybody to Seesaw Parade episode 232. It's the final one of the year. I'm Colin and he's James. Indeed. And this is, of course, still your least favourite podcast. That's not right. What? That's not the line. That's absolutely not the line. I think it might be the truth, though. Your new favourite podcast... (laughs) No, at uh, least informed, maybe. Least informed. Uh, longest running season one of any Scottish entertainment slash news slash movies podcast in existence. Mm. Thank you very much for listening. Really do appreciate it. And uh, if anybody out there would uh, like to get in touch with the show, as the people I'm about to list off have, Ooh. you can do at Operate on Twitter, ceaseoperate at gmail.com, or like Stu Manchu did on SoundCloud, you can actually leave comments on the track. Oh, wow. So Somebody left a comment on a track? Yeah, and I wasn't a Russian bot this time offering sexual services. It was great. What? I was the, very we, surprised. It wasn't just that I like this track, please follow my account. X, 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 this, X, X. This beat is sick. <laughs> I particularly love the drop at 32.47. No, it was actually a comment, which uh, was Stu Manchu was saying he was uh, surprised that this was still the preamble and that he'd actually finished all his popcorn before we got to the good bit. Uh, so exactly. I apologise. Good quality feedback, just like the trailers. I see what you did there. But uh, but very, very well done. Yeah, thank you for, for your contribution. Uh, as he was asking, James, to clarify your fries scale, hmm. you, you compared a film to a, to a cup of fries a cup of fries and uh, so, so as he's saying for example five guys fries which is clearly a five it's the best you've got chick-fil-a four burger king all three right, where right. do you stand on your your cup of fries ratings well my fries rating had a different angle i like this <laughs> okay. angle i mean i might have to adopt the comparing it to a, a type of fries my fries was more like fries on the grand scale of food okay this film is like a cup of fries on the grand scale of are you eating just straight a scoop of peanut butter out the jar to are you eating a gourmet restaurant okay. right i'm not going to be upset that i'm eating a cup of fries but it's it's a cup of fries that's i mean that's what i read in it as well but i guess izzy was looking for some more detail but thank you for for getting in touch yeah my question to izzy would be where would a homemade cup of fries be on this list of establishment fries because i don't have any establishment fries in this pandemic uh, it's a good a good point. I would say uh, Scotty Dog steak cut fries are my go-to. They're Ooh. very, very good. And that would be your five. Th- that would be my. That would be like my four and a half because Five Guys fries are very yeah. good. And are we allowed to put like sweet potato fries on this list, or is <laughs> okay. that for a different list? This, this is that's that's when you're going to like ten stars. You're really going to have to expand <laughs> ah, your list yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's one for a further discussion. But thank you for your <laughs> contribution. Uh, Shanana BT saying that uh, you, James, are officially her favorite. Yes. And she's lost all trust in me due to my absolute distrustful stance against salted popcorn. Well, the thing is, Shanana and everyone else, no. salted popcorn is, as no. my grandfather would say, off the devil. 
It is deeply unpleasant and should not exist. It's, it's, it's just so good, though. Only, only sweet stuff should exist. I'm slightly, I am slightly upset, but only a very small amount that the only reason I'm somebody's favourite is because you messed up so badly. But I will accept it. I will take this crown and it will go on my resume. Uh, also, for people who missed my uh, Twitter gaff this week, I was having our, our virtual work Christmas party, James, and part of the uh, party was a quiz. And one of the questions was a quote about somebody from the UK cabinet. Uh, and who was it? Who had said this quote? And so they came to me for my answer. Oh. And me, having had a couple of beers, thought I'd be very funny and spoonerize Matt Hancock's name, as we have often done classic, on this show. A classic, a classic. The classic Hat Mancock. And nobody laughed. It was complete no. silence. No. And I, I slowly slid out of my chair onto the floor. It was, it was mortifying. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was when Seesaw Parade made its, uh, its transition to the mainstream and failed miserably. Oh, no. One final comment. ML was saying after my review of The Office Season 3, saying I enjoyed the show, uh, but still not on the Michael Scott train yet. She said that her, or rather his character, develops... As he deals with his various insecurities, wait till you get to the Pam's Art Show episode. You'll see a lovely, genuine side to him. Now, Mel, that show, that episode is actually in season three. So I did come to it and you did jog my memory in that that was a nice thing. That was a nice side of him. So there you go. perhaps I was a little bit too harsh and I'm already a few episodes into season four and they are, again, giving him more light and shade in comparison to the first couple seasons. So I am, I am getting there, but it's... It's a very slow process. But thank you. If you have any reviews of things you have seen, movies, TV shows, something that's going to be on the TV at Christmas time, you want to tell me how terrible it is, yep. like Emel did recently with Sorry to Bother You, which I <laughs> did review about a year ago. Emel oh. was saying that she and Johnny had chucked it on and turned it off after 20 minutes because it was too weird. I'm pretty sure when I reviewed it, I didn't recommend it, but said I enjoyed it. Ah, It's very much a... a it's a you need a you need a certain taste for it. Perhaps like a taste for salt popcorn. You need a taste for Riley Boots movies. It's it is very weird. I'll give you that. Right, right, okay. But yes, if dear listener, if you have anything, get in touch. Send us a review at Operate. Okay, right. Well, on that note, uh, let's actually get into the show proper because Christmas, James, is just around the corner. It's just around. What kind of a corner is it though? What kind of a corner is it, though? Well, it's it's a one-day corner, James. <laughs> oh, Colin, it's a U-turn. Oh, <laughs> nice. Oh, I see what you've done there. Okay, very clever. Thank you. This is the news <laughs> that the planned relaxation of COVID rules for Christmas has been scrapped for the UK. Man, wow. So You know what? This is the first time on the podcast that I've been completely wrong, and it's actually okay. <laughs> Okay, right. So the initial suggestion, as we talked about in recent episodes, was that if you lived in Scotland, England or Wales, you would be in a relaxed period of rules between December 23rd and December 27th. You could yeah. uh, do what you pleased for those five days with three households inside and everybody seemed quite content with that. Yeah. But then, James, we've seen the virus numbers spike yet again, particularly in the southeast of England. They're popping off in the saddest of ways. Due to this uh, new variant, which seems to be more easily transmissible. And so 
At the tail end of last weekend, the announcement was made that actually the COVID relaxation rules are down to one day. It is Christmas Day, and that is it for England, Scotland, and Wales. And it's in not some even parts everywhere. of Southeast England, I was going to say, in some parts of Southeast England, read my mind, James these rules do not even exist at all because of how severe the virus is spreading. So, James, just uh, you, you said that you were actually pleased or relieved to hear this. Why? Because many, many people will not be relieved to hear this. Well, in previous episodes, I th- I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that I stated that the way that we were handling the lockdowns wasn't quite good enough on the build-up to Christmas. Yeah, you said And that, that we were going to suffer through this relaxed five days and then feel the pain of it later on even if we go into lockdowns afterwards yeah and that i was saying that i didn't think any government would change the change their minds about christmas but they've done it they've changed their mind about christmas i feel yeah it's because there was a new covid strain we kind of knew about that already though so it's not like it, it, it it's not super fresh news we've we saw those spikes going up uh-huh. A wee while before the U-turn. Um, but I guess something convinced them to actually change their mind, clamp down on the Christmas rules, because five days of inter, inter-familial and inter-household um, spreading of a virus was super dangerous at this point. It was already super dangerous. Yeah. It became more dangerous. So I'm glad that when I said they won't change that rule and we will suffer for it, that I was completely wrong. Because they have changed the rule. Okay. We're probably still going to suffer because the lockdowns have been ineffective across the, across the nations. A couple of questions. Less so in Scotland. A couple of questions, James. The first one being, as speculated on this show, we can exclusively reveal that we speculated <laughs> about it first, that there would be lockdowns after Christmas. And thus it has proved. Tier 4, the highest and most stringent yeah. uh, level of lockdown, will be in place from Boxing Day. That is December 26th. Uh, in Northern Ireland, that is an automatic six-week lockdown, and I expect Oof. there will be something similar yeah. across the rest of the UK. There have been some complaints, James, that it is unfair to put some parts of mainland Scotland into Tier 4, which are currently in Tier 1, yeah. considering the uh, the few number of, of uh, virus numbers they have, in comparison to, say, the centre of Glasgow, yeah, was... which is still rife, I should say, with virus cases. Yeah, so technically, I think, t- like, in the last couple of days, we've had we've still had zeros on some of the islands, for example. Yeah. So, so, amongst the north. So what's the reason, then, to put the entire country into essentially the March lockdown again when the virus cases across the country do vary so much. So that people don't just hop on the train and go stay wherever the virus isn't for two weeks for a wee holiday, basically, I think is the idea behind it. If you leave some places open, everybody's going to go to those places when they hear that they're going to be locked down. And we have the evidence for this. Right. Because when London found out that they were immediately going into mega lockdown at midnight, I think half the population decided to to leave for a short holiday within the few hours they had to prepare. So imagine if you had a week to prepare, everybody would be leaving and spreading the virus around like mad, going to all those places that are more open. And not everybody, and it is, like I say, half, it was a small percentage, but it is enough to be 
very damaging to those local places. If this is news to you, this was the footage which was uh, going wild on social media, I believe, at the tail end of last weekend, again, yeah. when Tier 4 was announced for London. And footage from St Pancras International, from King's Cross, for all the trains leaving, there were thousands of people attempting to flee the city yeah. ahead of the lockdown restrictions coming into place at midnight. I'm sure so that they could keep their Christmas plans in place yeah. that they already made and bought food for and blah, 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 and they were going to go visit their grandparents in the country or whatever. Well, well and- one more question just before you, you continue then. Okay. One of the parts of the COVID Christmas relaxation rules... It's a much easier way to say that, I'm sure, is that there is going to be a ban on travel between Scotland and England (gasps) and the rest of the country. Nicola Sturgeon said that you have to stay in Scotland if you are planning to to have Christmas Day with other people. However, these rules are not going to be enforced. And this actually led to a question from a listener who asked, what is the point of writing stuff into law, RE travel, if it's not going to be enforced? And this was then in brackets. This is not at all coming from my upset that someone I know has decided to go to England for an extended family Christmas, regardless of what has been said in governments across the country. So, James, my question is, what is the point of writing this stuff into law if nobody is able to actually enforce it? Well, I think a big part of publicly putting things into place in laws or whatever, isn't just the fact that, hey, you're going to get punished if you don't do this. It's also just the, hey, here's a new moral responsibility for you. And even that slight moral responsibility, even if there's very little chance that you're going to get in trouble for not upholding it, is enough to convince some amount of the population that, hey, this matters enough. I'm going to change my plans. It's not going to get everybody. It's probably not going to get as many as we'd hope. There are going to be people traveling. Um, And I'm not sure how unenforceable this is. I was reading a few of the articles and I wasn't sure if they were saying there was no way, there was no legal way to enforce it or if they were saying that there was no actual way that it could be done effectively. So so from Um, the police side of things, it was we simply don't have the manpower. I mean, consider how many routes there are in and out of Scotland and England. Yeah, which is what I was thinking. It's probably just a manpower thing, which means that they still might be on the occasional road turning people back and saying, hey, don't do this, which is good. It it might not be 100% effective, but it's enough of a percent to maybe do some good, which matters. And yeah, there are idiots that travel anyway, um, or selfish folks that travel anyway and endanger the community they're going to and then endanger the community that they're returning to. Um, and it's a shame that there's not much else you can do dis- to discourage those folks. Okay, linked to this just before we move on is the news that countries across the world, dozens of them, have banned flights coming from the UK during, to, during or rather, due to this new yeah. variant of the COVID-19 Man. virus. So, James, this actually meant that a lot of people who, as you say, had Christmas plans were then further scuppered because they actually had to stay where they were. Yeah, but why are you making Christmas plans? I don't understand this. I can see well, no, why... Well, no, I know. I completely understand it because people have had a rough year and they want to go home. If people have had a rough year in which they, at the end of the year they were like, yeah, I trust that Boris and the government are not going to cancel the grace period. Why would you trust any of the governments to be able to not cancel Christmas at this point? That was optimism yet again. 
especially optimistic to be making plans to travel abroad. I can understand plans to do local travel. Yeah, that's that's easier to cancel. It's easier to get a refund. It's easier to to reorganize. But I, I like there are levels of optimism that I cannot reach at this point. And I like it's I almost respect how optimistic some people were with their plans for Christmas. Um. But I I can't I can't empathize I can't get my brain into this space where I understand those plans. However, there is a big taste of oh man the potential that we could have had because we are now getting forced upon us travel bans that we could have done from day one. Yeah. <laughs> to ourselves and been in a much better position and maybe got Christmas. Imagine if we did all this international travel ban voluntarily when it mattered. Instead of having it happen now, when it's time to cancel Christmas, <laughs> okay. we could have been in such a better place. Right. Let's stick with one more story in Scotland before we move on. And this is the news that the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, has apologised for breaching COVID rules. Yeah. Uh, she was pictured by the Scottish Sun newspaper uh, taking her mask off at a funeral wake. So this yeah. was the, uh, the First Minister was talking to three older people at a social distance, but her mask, mask was, was off, off and she yeah. was inside as well. So she was attending uh, a wake after the funeral of a, a civil servant at the Scottish government who had died with COVID. Uh, Sturgeon said that she was kicking herself mm-hmm. for getting it wrong uh, and that she was wrong and called it a stupid mistake. Yeah. So James, what's your view on, on this? Because I have an opinion, as I often do. I would say of all of the COVID breaches, this is... Kind of surprising, I would say, because she's been pretty good at the whole mask thing. Um, It was a big, stupid mistake, I agree. I don't think it's a step-down level of mistake, but it is probably the most straightforward apology I have seen from any of the folks uh, who have been, who have broken any of the rules, big or small, or broken any of the guidelines, big or small. But I'm sure there will be Twitter... Twitter groups going about trying to get polls signed to have a vote of no confidence in Nicola for this because it is a mistake. What do you think? So my view on this is that I was just very disappointed when I saw it because of all the people who uh, politically who have uh, been communicating with the people of the world over the last few months Whilst her handling of the pandemic has been far from ideal, her communication's been very strong. Indeed. And her dealing with people in her party who have flouted the rules has also been similarly strong. Indeed. So to see her inside at a funeral wake, speaking to old people with a mask A COVID funeral. Exactly. It was just of all the places you could have done it. I mean, if you were, let's say you were standing, I don't know, at someone's doorstep or or some other situation. Okay, fine. We've all, I'm sure, well, maybe not all of us, James, have broken rules regarding the COVID regulations over the last nine months. But you are the first minister of Scotland. You're the most senior politician in the entire country. How can you get this wrong? It's it is it, it honestly it, it just was very disappointing because of yeah. how highly I hold Sturgeon in terms of her communication skills in terms of her messaging her strength of of message yeah. and the fact that she holds so consistently to to what she says and uh, on the whole practices what she preaches and then to see the story 
it just gives people fuel and ammunition to say, well, Sturgeon didn't do it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it could be big damage if it, if people keep trying to report it for 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 longer than it deserves. Because I think apology said, end of business so that people are stop, stop getting exposed to this so that people won't have this like, oh, well, if masks don't matter, then I don't, then I won't do it either. However, I do, I do understand this because as I've said before, I know that if I was going out and about day to day, I would be one of the first people to just, without thinking, take my mask off for the dumbest little reasons, which would include talking to old people at awake because hard of hearing, you want to be more clear, instinct, take mask off. And I think everybody's going to slip up eventually, especially somebody who's constantly uh, out and about doing this kind of stuff with people there to record every m- movement. I know I would make this mistake eventually. Yeah. I am still disappointed though. Like just as you're saying, I am surprised that it happened. It's the, probably the worst combo of person, place and time coming up to the canceled Christmas and stuff like that. Um, and it's, it is majorly disappointing. I, I, I still wouldn't be too surprised if after COVID is all said and done, Nicola wants to stand aside, but I think the fight for independence is going to try and it's going to be something that, that makes her want to stay on just a little bit longer. It, it is one thing I considered. Would this be enough to make her resign or certainly announce that she'd be standing down at the end of the pandemic? Because this does actually give her an out. It's not a very strong out, yeah. but it means that after the last nine months of what I'm sure was countless sleepless nights and probably the most stressful job in the country, indeed. then you actually have a decent enough excuse to actually say, you know what? I'm done with this. Someone else can do it. Yeah. And I'm just going to take a few years off. And yeah. I, I'm not sure that people would, I don't want to say begrudge her of that, but it would be a bit of a meek exit. So I'm Indeed. unsure. But I, I, could, I could see it going either way. It does was, seem like I a very, a very um, lesser offense yeah. in terms of resignation offenses. Yeah. I think, I think for me, just the fact that Scotland has handled the coronavirus poorly, even if slightly better than its nearest neighbors, um, would be enough. But since this is a more one-off public event, I can see why this would be the anchor for everything else. Like, hey, we did a pretty bad job. I was responsible. I also broke the rules. I'm out of here. But unless there's some replacement right there at the top of the chain who is equally um, admired in in some spheres of the public who can take over the the party and guarantee some level of momentum, I'm not sure she's going to be so keen to leave even if it's exhausting. Okay, James, sticking with uh, COVID for one more story. Oh, boy. We'll go to the south of England, where the first trucks have started leaving a temporary lorry park slash airport in Kent after France reopened its border with the UK. So this is the news. Soft reopening. 4,000 lorries have been stuck at this airfield after France closed its border on Sunday amid this concern over this new fast-spreading variant. So then on Wednesday, France ended the ban on the UK arrivals on the condition that the Hollier drivers had tested negative for a coronavirus test. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but this preceding all this, drivers had been uh, fighting with police this morning as they waited for test results. Uh, Grant Shapps, who's the transport secretary, he warned of severe delays. He urged people to avoid travelling to the area. And uh, supermarkets have had to come out to ration certain items because 
of this delay in holly or holage i should say leaving the uk and going to france and in some cases returning mm. so james this is this to me is an indicator of things to come because indeed. brexit of course indeed kicks in uh, kicks in on january 1st so what is your your takeaway of everything that's happened here over the last few days i think the big one is that as you're saying brexit is pretty soon if the uk was kind of like nearly ready for brexit i think that this wouldn't have been as big of a problem <laughs> as it has proven to be i feel like if we had in place the correct infrastructure to handle brexit then we wouldn't have had yeah and a, a literal headline piece of news about lorries that are stuck for a bit it wouldn't have been such a big concern so this indicates that brexit is gonna be bad it's a, just another indicator that brexit is gonna be bad I feel really sorry for the the haulers uh, who are all stuck and potentially not getting their Christmases because this is this was for those who are leaving the the final drive yeah and um, before they take their little break and it sucks for them and it sucks that everything is piled up to be this catastrophe for this specific section of the industry um but I'm I'm just more worried about what's happening in the next few weeks as Brexit does happen and it really doesn't look like we're going to get much of a deal if we if we end up getting one. So the effects of that on infrastructure in general and how we're handling getting things to where they need to be, it's kind of worrying. I feel I feel feel very concerned. <laughs> to to me, it's the knock on effects that this has because usually there are something like ten thousand lorries that go back and forth yeah, between yeah. the UK and France every single day. It's now been three days without any lorries going back and forth. And of course, you still have uh, various other ways of getting things in and out of the country. But undoubtedly, this has an impact on the wider supply chain. And as people see this story, and as Tesco and Sainsbury say, hold on a second, stop buying those broccolis. And Tesco say, please stop buying as many eggs and toilet roll. I know, right? Then the more that people see these stories, the more they're going to go out and, just and buy, buy the things they've been told not to. Yeah, we've seen, we've seen the stockpiling for smaller yeah. things than this. And we actually did have the British Retail Consortium come out last week to say, do not stockpile. And of course... That's not going to work. Literally, you're mentioning the word stockpile. People hear someone saying, oh, you shouldn't do it because people are doing it. And they think, okay, quick, we've got to get all this stuff in before other people start stockpiling. And then inadvertently become the stockpilers. Indeed. So, So to me, this is... It's just another warning sign on the the route to Brexit chaos, yeah. which is still up in the air. Boris Johnson and Ursula uh, von der Leyen, yeah. who's the European Commission president. They're in, they're in close contact, Colin. In close contact, whatever that means. WhatsApping each other, perhaps sliding into DMs on Twitter, WhatsApp's who knows? WhatsApp's too secure. They're probably, they're probably yelling it just out loud. Nudes on Snapchat. <laughs> oh, whatever it is. Close contact is... Uh, oh, here, you know Boris. He's got a track record. He can't tell you how many kids he's got. So that is still a <laughs> you thing. Don't, you don't impregnate people via Snapchat, to be fair. <laughs> That's a fair, uh, a valid Not point. as far as I know. Anyway, as you say, James, close contact being maintained between the two leaders in yeah. the hope of a deal being reached yep. between uh, now and December 31st. Did you hear, James, about the negotiating that was going on about the fishing this week? Uh, not a lot about it. Um, I, I I heard there was another UK attempt at being like, hey, here's an idea. And the EU went, mm, no, not really. Not a good one. You got any better ideas? So in terms of a, a, terms of a summary, the reporting was that Britain had said, hey, 
if French fishermen are going to be catching fish in British waters because it makes a de- up a decent amount of the fish they sell, yeah. then we're going to take a cut. And we would like yeah. 80% of what they sell. We would like the shank. The shank of the fish. And the EU said, are you having a laugh? 20. And eventually they've got down to Britain saying, okay, we'll take 35% of the fish. And the EU are saying uh, 20, 27, 28. So there's still clearly some distance off. That is that is a classic negotiation, though. This one is the most real feeling negotiation. But I'm thinking like Britain saying, hey, if you buy a fish here, we're going to take four-fifths of it. Are you kidding? It's our fish. <laughs> Come on. Sovereign waters. They're lucky they're getting a percent of it at all. It's the Queen's fish. They're lucky we're not getting out the big guns and just sinking all their vessels. That's Elizabeth's haddock. Some, something like that. Aye. <laughs> okay. It's just it's just all these things that are getting they're a big stick for the deal because as much as the Tories and Boris don't really want the best deal possible, they want one that will save face with the populist vote so that they can continue to be the Brexit party f- forever somehow and keep blaming Europe for a promise for a problem. So they want like a, a, a weak deal that makes them look like they fought hard and the EU are the bad guys. So in this instance, EU are asking for too much of a percent of the fish that they caught kind of near us. They're the bad guys, not us. And it's going to work because somehow even after everything has gone bad, we got too many people dead from a virus. We've got Brexit going real poorly. We've got Christmas cancelled. The Tories are still polling at like 40-ish percent. They're still winning. Their base vote is insane. I think I think Labour today on one of the polls has has more of the vote. Okay. And it's mind-blowing to me that it's close. <laughs> right. And, and just to add to that list of horror stories, one more for you. Indeed. And thankfully, it's away from COVID and Brexit, but it's equally bad. This is the news that more than 1,200 people in Scotland died of drug misuse last year. Mm-hmm. This is the worst rate in Europe. By and a it's long three and a half way. times the rate of England and Wales. It's a rate of almost four people a day. And the highest number of people dying were between the ages of 35 and 54. Now, James, I'm still involved in the the church plant at Govan, right. it, which, which focuses really on people who have drug addiction problems. For anyone who's unfamiliar with Glasgow, Govan is one of the most deprived areas of Scotland, mm-hmm. has massive amounts of deprivation and substance abuse issues. Yeah. In the last year, I know two people in that community, have died. One of whom was a good friend of mine. Yeah. And he was maybe 45. Indeed, yeah. And he's, and everything seemed to be, seemed to have kind of cleaned up his, his life and things were going better. And then just one day, early in the lockdown in March, he died. That yeah. was that. And these figures are actually from 2019. They're not even from this year. I know this. So next year is know. going to be even worse. Yeah. So let me ask James, what is, what is going so wrong in this country in terms of our relationship with drugs and particularly the lack of support or help being given to people who are clearly yeah. uh, really struggling with substance abuse issues. Because as uh, as mentioned there, Scotland is by far and away, the, has by far and away the worst record in the whole of Europe. And that's horrendous. Yeah, there is just a bunch of historical reasons for Scotland being as bad as it is. Um, a lot of that is to do with in, insane amounts of deprivation, insane amounts of poverty in places 
where maybe there used to be enough wealth to support some families. And then all the industries moved because of things. Um, and then those areas became super poor. And with poverty comes addictions, crime, all the rest. That's just a thing that happens. So if you are not effectively tackling poverty, you're going to eventually see increases in all these things. And that happened decades ago. And now decades later, a lot of these people who got themselves in these really bad situations and have not had adequate support since are, are in a slightly more aged body, either re-entering the drug, the drug taking um, life and finding that it is the end of their life or are seeing everything come to an end because of a continued drug use. Um, the UK in general has a massively outdated drugs policy. Scotland can't change its drugs policy. That's still right, reserved so, to to Westminster. So so that leads me on to the next question, which is what's the solution here? Now, first of all, first of all, this whole issue is so intractable. You need yeah. a variety of, of solutions. Many, There's yeah, not just many. one size fits all. Yeah. But one of the main strands that have been pushed uh, over the last few years is that you would get safe injecting facilities yeah. in the likes of Glasgow. because Stuff that the, has worked in other countries for decades now. Yeah, the overwhelming majority of deaths have occurred in the west of Scotland. So yeah. that's the Glasgow and Greater Clyde area. It's Ayrshire and Arran. It's Lanarkshire. Yeah. It is It is predominantly the west coast of this country. Yeah. So this suggestion is that you would, you would get these spaces like you get in Portugal and the Netherlands where people can come to to inject heroin safely with yeah. sterilized needles, with people on hand who know what they're doing. Yeah, with because, clean drugs, with clean needles, with clean everything. Yeah, because ultimately, a, a huge reason why these people are dying is both because they are essentially taking a poly drug. They're, they're injecting something and then also combining it with prescription medication and alcohol. Indeed, yeah. But also due to the fact that if they're without these safe injecting facilities, they're in some sort of back alley with rats and rubbish and all sorts of horrific substances around the back of an alley in the east end of Glasgow. So what's the alternative? If people have these issues, which they clearly do and there are thousands in this country, then what, are we just going to let them continue to do that? Or can we actually address the issue and say here's a space where you can come yeah. and inject your drugs safely i don't understand what the problem is with that yeah and not only that it's the it's the goal of them isn't just to give people a safe space it's also to get them on the record yep. to give them a space where they can come to, to find help to get rehabilitation to end their addictions and stuff like that it's a centralized area of support in all of these local wherever they would be yeah um I'd say for the SNP for Scotland, it's just about actually funding stuff. For some reason, the SNP, in a lot of instances, just really likes trying to make things super centralized, super efficient, super uh -huh. far away from the public um, and with smaller budgets because it looks better. Um, and I know that this is in big part due to trying to fit within the tax structure of the UK. And we can't really do much about that, even but if we got tax powers. But they have been cutting funding for these drug rehab centres for years. They have. Indeed, that's what I'm saying. So the, 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 so the method of the SNP doesn't work here. The SNP needs to stop all this centralisation, needs to stop all of the, 
the funding cuts. We just need to embrace public spending, even if it puts us even more in debt to the rest of the UK, um, because the the people down south who have control over more drug-related policies aren't going to change them. And I think a big step for the Scottish um, leadership would be to stop obeying those laws, the laws that are currently in place with our drugs policies, just to ignore them, to start doing all this stuff that we've mentioned, to have the safe the safe sites, to have increased funding, to decriminalise um, possession and all that, and target um, the abusers, the folks who are uh, distributing drugs rather than the people who have a crippling addiction. We should, and there, there's all those things, and I think that the response from the Scottish government for the first time has been something of a, hey, we're going to actually start trying to take care of this. They haven't really admitted that a lot of this is their fault, and they haven't really pointed fingers at where it's at fault elsewhere. They've just they've just said, hey, we'll try and fix this. Yeah, And that's a step. We might see some improvement, but because of the way this drug stuff is, it's going to take decades to see if it's effective or to see which parts of it are effective and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, moving on because time is ticking away. Let's go over to the States where President Donald Trump has continued to grant full pardons to dozens of people, including George Papadopoulos, who was a former campaign aide who was jailed, Mm. pleading guilty as part of the investigation into Russian meddling in the 2016 election. Trump also pardoned Alex van der Zwan, who's the Dutch son-in-law of a Russian billionaire, uh, van der Zwan was sentenced to 30 days in prison and fined 20 grand for lying to the yeah. Mueller investigation. Uh, James, these names are just a, a wave of pre-Christmas announcements from the White House. 15 people have been, uh, their sentences have been commuted either yeah. in part or entirely. And uh, this also, this list also includes three former Republican lawmakers. Yeah. And various U.S. service members who had been convicted of killing Iraqi citizens. So, what's your thoughts yeah. on this, James? So we're pardoning, we're pardoning war criminals, corrupt politicians, people who are stealing money from charities, people who lie to to investigations. Um, it paints a picture of how Trump works. Trump is tit for tat. These people said nice things about him, or supported him in his campaigns or whatever, and now he's paying them back in the last minute that he can because Trump doesn't do things uh, when it it would be efficient for other people. He does it when it would be most efficient for him, which is now, right before he loses his power while everybody's distracted about things. And yes, all presidents pardon people, and yes, in my opinion, that makes me dislike all presidents. (laughs) Um, This is a pretty bad example of it. Trump uh, is pardoning the entire wrong people, the people who who wouldn't deserve it, even in the slightest. And I expect we're going to see many more names added to this list. Yeah, he still has another three and a bit weeks to go Indeed. before uh, Joe Biden is sworn in. Yeah. Who has said, by the way, that in the first six months of his presidency, he'll be asking all Americans to mask up. Ooh. Which, well, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. But uh, as, you, as you say, James, all presidents pardon people. So there can be no unfair criticizing of that because they've all they've all done it and they all do it yeah yeah but to me it just comes as more of a bitter pill to swallow when these people have clearly done things which were wrong 
And the president said, you know what, actually, you know what, because I like you and you've said nice things to me or you've you've given me money, you've given my campaign money, I'm going to I'm going to let you off scot free. And that's just not fair. No, these ones are particularly bad of all the of all the pardonings I know. However, points to Trump, he has been threatening to to veto the next stimulus bill that's gone through uh, House and Senate because um, it would look good for him. <laughs> Basically, the one right. time that Trump's pride might come in handy is that he's demanding that the people of the US get more than $600 or he'll veto the bill. Interesting. Um, so the Democrats have been fighting for months to try and get um, McConnell and the Senate to send out another stimulus package, including a decent amount of money. Yep. The most they could get the Republicans to agree to was a $600 check. And that was it. And then the Democrats tried to praise it and be like, yeah, this is good because the Democrats have no backbone. And they should have been saying this isn't enough, even if they were signing it. But now Trump, wanting to look good in his final few weeks, <laughs> might actually get people more than enough money to pay, like, maybe rent. Oh, good. Well, that is good news. So hey, we'll see how it goes. McConnell's not been McConnell's not been nice enough to Trump, and now Trump is giving a, a little backstab, and it might work out for the benefit of some people for once. Okay, James, let's move on to the world of entertainment. And Tom Cruise has been in the headlines. Oh, yeah. Recorded screaming obscenities at crew members on the set of his current film, Mission Impossible 7. Yes. After apparent breaches of on-set social distancing guidelines. So it was actually The Sun who published an audio recording. I'll see if I can get some clips in here uh, of Cruise shouting and swearing at film crew of which he, he's he's a producer on the, on this film, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He threatened them with instant dismissal if anybody Indeed. was found to be contravening these distancing rules again. Yeah. James, did you listen to the recording? Yeah, he sounds like an insanely stressed person who's been trying really hard to do a thing and then people are letting him down. He also sounds a bit delusional. But then again, Scientology. Scientology. He is. <laughs> I'm not surprised he can scream so good. He literally does it in films. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's like two and a, two and a half minutes of just full on yelling. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure he did that in. Um... And the, I mean, in terms of the physical side of things, that's impressive. He does all his own stunts. Oh, I forgot the name of the film. What's the what's the what's the stellar comedy about? Tropic Is Thunder. Tr- Tropic Thunder. He plays yeah. a, a producer who just yells during the phone d- down the phone the entire movie. I'm pretty sure. It- that now we are seeing that that film was just him living his best life. <laughs> okay, well, just on the on the actual kind of wider side of things here, t- the point that Tom is making is that Tom you know is, the, yes. the 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 movie industry has had to jump through hoops and hurdles to get to this point. So anyone who's endangering that needs to go. Does he have a point? Yeah, he's got a point. I I guess like yeah. He's having to call a lot of people and use a lot of his influence to give Hollywood a different set of rules to everybody else. (laughs) And even then, people aren't letting the Hollywood rules be enough for them. Like, I think it's kind of scummy that a bunch of big business and uh, in all sorts of... um, areas of the world are able to get themselves a different set of rules to, you know, everyday small business. I think that sucks. But yeah, he's got a point. If you've managed to squeeze out a few extra rules by 
calling people and, and influencing them with your uh, insane amount of power, it's a bit of a it's a bit uh, disappointing if people won't adhere to those rules and you actually end up getting cancelled again. Okay, let's move on. The news from the world of Disney this week is that legendary actor Tim Roth is returning. Yeah. To play yeah. Abomination in She-Hulk, which is going to be a Marvel TV show. Now, cast your minds back, everybody, to, I believe, 2009? Like a decade. Which was when The Incredible Hulk came out. This was when um, Edward Norton was playing the role of Bruce Banner. Tim Roth... In a somewhat interesting film. Yes, it has a... Yeah, I reviewed it at some point this year. Yeah. Tim Roth is the, the villain in this. He plays Abomination. He's basically just an English assassin who who is so severely injured by the Hulk that he has to take some uh, some weird-looking injections yeah. and it makes him just a bad Hulk. It makes him also the Hulk, last, yeah. The last we'd heard of him, he was in some sort of top-secret prison. He was in so, S.H.I.E.L.D. jail. In S.H.I.E.L.D. jail, indeed. So Was he going to be an Avenger? Maybe, but he's in jail anyway. Well remembered. So he is being brought back for this TV show. James, my, my point here, before I ask you if you have any thoughts on this, <laughs> is that, okay, great, Tim Roth is a wonderful actor. I would imagine, because it is a TV series as indeed. opposed to a movie, yeah. it will largely be a character-based show. And mm-hmm. then... Of course, you'll have a few big old boss dust-ups, yeah. but it will, I hope, just be Tim Roth being Tim Roth, which, it if acting. it is, tremendous. But yeah. if it's Abomination, who, I mean, Abomination by name and by nature, he was it's like Maroon Hulk. a very, very poor Marvel villain, but that goes without saying. Yeah. So, But even just to look at it, he just wasn't very good. So yeah, indeed. if they give us lots of Timmy, then great. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah, this that's another one of those is like how are you gonna make a series about several hulks and make it good? But well, apparently they're going to. Maybe it won't be good, I don't know. I, I said I did say they might make it good, but I, I retract that. They're gonna make it, at least. Um uh, Mark Ruffalo's in it as well, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So we're not we're not getting Ed back. We're not gonna get original Hulk just for TV. Um <laughs> It's Ruffalo still. I don't know. It's just weird news. Is this big news? Is this just a? Is this just a small leak? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, to to me, it's interesting because of how long has passed It'll, since yeah. that first movie. Yeah, I think like, it's. I think it's twelve years. It's it's been a long time, so it'll be interesting to see how they try to tie that character back in. Is it a, is it, is it going to be a, like a jailbreak series where She Hulk wants to <laughs> make sure all Hulks are free? <laughs> it's, so I'd right. I'd watch that. The Gathering of Hulks. Okay. Anyway, one final piece of movie news before we hit you with a trailer and uh, what we've been watching. This is the news that MGM, which is the Hollywood studio behind James Bond and Rocky, is up for sale. Indeed. James, if you've got a spare five billion dollars <laughs> kicking about, oh, no, it's just, yours. I just spent it. I know. Me too. I bought a big candle. Yeah. The studio has uh, explored selling several times over the last uh, few years. Most recently in January, uh, they'd had some talks with Netflix and Apple, mm-hmm. but the price was the problem. However, the streaming wars have continued, as we've discussed over the last several months, with uh, a big shift to that due to the pandemic and the changing behaviours of the audience. So yeah. they're hopeful that their giant library of 4,000 films and 17,000 hours of TV programming 
will be enough Indeed. to force someone to buy them. It could be. They made one and a half billion in terms of revenue last year, so five billion doesn't seem to be that much of an asking price, he says, with absolutely no knowledge of how this thing works. <laughs> no, no idea. They have also gone bankrupt pretty recently yeah, and they stuff did. like that. So it'll be this, I'm sure, will help them. I hope it doesn't go to Disney. That's my only prayer, is that we don't just see Disney carry on lapping up every single strand of all industries. I wouldn't be too surprised if this was Amazon's in, if they if this was the first one that Amazon tried to get, if Netflix and Apple okay. haven't gone for it. But we'll see. Like For sure, everybody's realizing that streaming is, is the next big one. So the big sale, it should happen. Who knows when? Who knows for how much, but I I think Bezos is going to get it, and he's going to demand that the next Bond be bald and called Jeff, Jeff Bond. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's just just try to try and make people think he's more approachable or attractive or just human. Okay. Here's one trailer to send you on your merry way. It's called Nobody, and it stars oh, yeah. Bob Odenkirk, who you'd recognise from Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, yeah. at starring as what looks like a rip-off John Wick. Here's a trailer. Heard you had some excitement last night. I wish they'd have picked my place, you know? Why didn't you take him out? I was just trying to keep the damage to a minimum. Yeah, how's that working out for you? You okay? Because you don't look okay. There's a long dormant piece of me that so very badly wants out. Um, I feel like I, it's one of those trailers that I, I feel like I've seen the film, but I might watch the film again anyway because it looks real dumb. Yep. It just looks really, really dumb. And I can see that whoever just wrote the John Wick script was like, hey, how do we like do the same film again? but have it slightly different. And it's like, okay, we'll make his family not dead. And instead of a pet, it's going to be a bracelet that represents the pet. His, his, his own reputation, his honor. It's like Milan. Yeah, and it's like, we've got, we've got the debt, we've got gold, we've got guns, we've got people punching each other with guns. Uh, <laughs> a dude unretiring and becoming infamous again. It's, it's, it's quite a copy-paste. They've done a great job of copy-pasting and, and actually making it somewhat interesting because Bob Odenkirk, of all people, this could either be incredible in terms of enjoyment or just complete trash. But I think even if it's complete trash, I will still enjoy it. Yeah. So my thoughts are essentially a replica of that, which is the trailer told me everything. Yeah. Somebody who's who's retired is having a boring life and decides to suddenly got a uh, get back to them. his... Yeah, he goes back to his old ways and by the end of the film, he's just a kick-ass villain who doesn't care about anybody and kills multiple people in his house and his family are completely unaffected. Yeah, but I bet his wife is more attracted to him afterwards. Well, yeah, that too. So, of course, we had the classic, you know... View from the ceiling camera shot of the, the two partners on opposite sides of the bed facing the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's early Love film. it. So to me, yeah, you're right. This is, is essentially a John Wick ripoff. But look, the formula works. So if you can do it well, fine. It really works. Uh, yeah. Imagine if Bob Odenkirk is the next person getting added super late in the development of some next 
next level game okay. as the as the cool character that you get to hang about with. We should really talk about Cyberpunk 2077, by the way. I, I know it's it's not been on the on the agenda, but let's just bring it up here. This is the game which was in development for eight years, was postponed three times, had Keanu Reeves as his main character. That was a big reveal last year. And uh, it was eventually released at the start of this month, and it has been a disaster because it turns out pretty, pretty big flop. that unless you have basically the world's most powerful gaming computer, it ain't going to work properly. It doesn't work too well. And even if it does work, it's full of bugs and glitches and weird character loops of, of people smoking guns instead of cigars and cars flying across the map completely unbeknownst to the player. And uh, also you can alter your character's genital size. That's something I learned this week too. Indeed, James, you can, you can. What's gone so badly wrong with this project? This project, Because I believe well. $300 million has been spent bringing this game to life. And then this week, Sony said, we're pulling the game from PlayStation stores and you can all have your money back if you want it. Yeah. Uh, what, what I would summarize as went wrong is they announced it too soon. Um, therefore building up hype too soon right. and they had to release it before the hype died so they got themselves stuck in a corner where the game wasn't done but they had to release it so the executives of the game who don't develop it they just executive it decided <laughs> it's time to release the developers are all going no please no please no not yet no no and the executives went no we're doing it so the, the devs tried their very best to put together a bodge job for release day right. uh, that could live up to the gameplay trailers in quotes that we'd seen because the gameplay trailers turns out those were fake um, and it didn't and it's disappointing folks however they've already made their money back all that money they sunk into development over a decade they've made it back because so many people bought the game and not enough people are returning it to make that a loss um, over the next year or two years the game will become finished might be fun and playable and complete. There are people who there are people who genuinely enjoy the game as it is. So I imagine in a couple of years, um, where the game would have actually been done, they'll release a mass a massive patch and it's like, hey, the game's done there. And then I'll finally buy it and play it and enjoy it. Um I do feel really bad for everybody who was so caught up in the hype that they pre-ordered the game, that they set aside days off work to play it and then couldn't play it because there was a bunch of false promises in terms of it's going to be able to be played on your PS2. No, well, PS4, I guess. Um, when it when they couldn't. It couldn't be played on last-gen last consoles even though it was developed for them and even though plenty of games have come out that look mighty more impressive than this and play on them. Uh, but this is just another example of the people in the board making bad decisions because money needs to be made now rather than later. Okay, let's move on. Time is up. James, what have you been watching? And then we're going to bring the show to a close. But it's a new year, people. So new year, new you. If you want to send us reviews of things you've been watching, <laughs> you can. Seatsoperate at gmail.com. Ref- but James, back to the question at hand. What have you been watching this week? I finished... Quite a lot of things. I can talk about two of them. Okay. I finished The Mandalorian and an anime. Right. Let's go for The Mandalorian first because I have heard a lot about this season ending. People uh, had a lot to say about the finale. I avoided all spoilers. I will be watching the show. What do you think? I'm going to try and not spoil it. I'm going to try and do my best not to say any spoilers whatsoever. Let me go at this. The show is very TV. It has exactly as many strong and weak episodes and strong and weak moments in an eight-episode run as you would expect from an average TV show. Okay. However, 
it exceeded my expectations because I, I enjoyed season one. I would encourage anybody to watch season one. I loved the theme. I loved the development. It was very TV. It, it, there was a lot of unconvincing stuff in there. This time around, I was like, well, season two, they're just going to like double down on baby Yoda and it's going to become a joke of itself and everything's going to be flanderized and stuff. And I thought that's what they were doing in the beginning. And then they didn't. They undid their flanderizing. They undid their doubling down on some 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 light jokes and bad content. And they made an actually good show for several episodes. There are some, again, every episode I found myself overall really liking, but most of them I took a bit of warming up to. The early game in most episodes is weak. The The story that ties them all together is a bit a bit weak and a bit slow. Um, however, they did tie everything together and they tied in more than we are than we deserve. They've brought in characters from all sorts of in in universe canon. We've got, as we discussed previously, people coming in from the Clone Wars stuff and stories coming in from the Clone Wars stuff. Um, I'd say the music overall, again, almost carries this show. It's really cool, really well done. Nice. It did get a bit techno at one point and I was like, that's weird, but I, I I lived with it. I abided the music even when it went techno. Um, you can definitely see that it's on a TV budget rather than a film budget. the 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 budget shines quite a lot, and because because they've got eight episodes to make, a lot of CG, a lot of set pieces. There's only so much you can do with your fancy screen technology. Um, but I even though you can, the budget is visible, I'm really impressed with how much they were able to do. I've got way more to say. Let me keep going. The characters are great. The, the, the returning characters are great. The way they bring in other characters is great. The, the new characters are, are mostly great. Um, they get some huge big emotional moments, even with characters that I thought, oh, they're just bringing them back for a bit of a giggle. They, they hit some major emotion. They hit some proper story depth at some moments. Um, there's an episode uh, where where the um, this shouldn't spoil it. There's an episode where they need to infiltrate the the empire, and there's a there's a whole minutes of big drama, big acting, big emotion, and I loved every second of that. Um, so overall, the show still got about as much failure as I expected, but I loved it, and they really they really nailed a few key elements that made me convinced that. If the Star Wars movies cared about as much as this show does, they would have been successful. Because while it's got a lot of flaws, it feels genuine. This show okay. feels like it is an actual fan of its material rather than the Star Wars films, which I felt were kind of just like money grabs and not a fan of the material. Fair enough. Okay, I'm going to give you one quick fire review of the one film I've rewatched. It is the next in our Marvel watch along. Graham seeing it for the first time. I've seen this uh, actually for the second time, only the second time. It's Black Panther. Hey. The cultural juggernaut which uh, swept the globe in 2018 if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, Chadwick Boseman of course is the leading man in this, but it has a wonderful cast including the likes of Forrest Whitaker, Lapita Nyong'o, you've got a whole host of talented people in there. I believe Martin Freeman is also back as Everett Ross mm -hmm. and Michael B. Jordan as the antagonist of the movie, Killmonger. Indeed. And also Andy Serkis playing his, or uh, reprising his role as uh, Ulysses Claw, the South African dude missing an arm. So this movie, uh -huh. I remember watching it at the time and saying it was good, but I didn't quite get the hype. 
Mm-hmm. I got more of it this time. I, I'm I'm unsure. Maybe it was just the distance between, uh, you know, a couple of years have passed since all that uh, that hype train pulled into the station. Mm-hmm. So I could I could totally get why this felt like such a moment. Yeah. For you know, huge you know millions of people across the world. I I can totally see that now. And as a film, as a sorry, as a Marvel film. It is okay, yeah. better. It's much better. It's yes. it it is doing something new. And whilst the plot develops as you expect, mm-hmm. and whilst we get that totally ridiculous CGI fight at the very end, you know, it's totally poorly executed CGI fight at the falling end, falling through midair, fighting in midair, and of course landing on your feet and looking like a PlayStation character. Precisely that that was the biggest gripe I had, which was yeah. CGI boss fight at the end. However, yeah. However, the performances from everybody are tremendous. And yeah, the themes great. Themes are fantastic. And also shout out to Sterling K. Brown, who plays a very, very minor character in the opening scene and also in a flashback scene later. He is a uh, powerhouse yeah. actor. He's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um he he is maybe on screen for six minutes and he has mm-hmm. he is so good in this. So all in all. Black Panther's great. Really, really liked it. And Marvel clearly were taken by surprise as to how successful this was. Because by the time it came out, they'd already shot most of the Avengers Endgame and Infinity War. And suddenly Black Panther's role had to be massively boosted up because they were just taken by surprise as to how good it was and uh, how much money it made. So in terms of its uh, movie making, in terms of where it stands in Marvel, Killmonger as a villain... Is is actually very good. He is good. He's he's oh, certainly yeah. up there uh, with justified the, villain with the best. Yeah, with with great reasons to be a villain, and people in the movie agree with him, and you can see why. Mm-hmm. So he's someone mm-hmm. with light and shade, and Black Panther himself, and his father, who is uh, also from a phenomenal in this movie. They are all played with shades of grey in their character, and it's great. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. heartily recommend Black Panther. Really did enjoy it. Okay, James, one final review to send us on our way and to chuck 2020 down the stairs and lock it in the cellar forever. I finished the most recent season, season four, of Haikyuu, that volleyball anime that is incredible. Hooray! Um, now, due to the pandemic times, animation studios are struggling a wee bit. Okay. So Haikyuu, amongst other shows, is one that has kind of outsourced some of its episodes and some of its moments to other animation houses so they could get the show done and that shows there are episodes where the art style is a bit poorly executed or the motion is a bit poorly executed okay. so you can see where there was restrictions due to pandemic but in my I, I can forgive that i'm just glad they released it um there are because of that there are stronger episodes and weaker episodes and but that's fine overall the season i loved it very, very strong story, even though it's the same old, hey, kids playing volleyball, how are they going to win? Yep. Hey, this is how the, this team won and this is how that team won. They keep developing their core characters in new and cool ways and expanding their capabilities on the court with justified reasons rather than just giving them a new superpower move suddenly. They, they actually justify every improvement in their own characters. Nice. They introduce even more New opposing teams full of characters that are interesting and not just a copy-paste of previous opponents. I'm I'm continuously surprised by how many different types of character you can have 
play volleyball and play it differently and it be convincing. Um, one of the, my new favorite characters of the whole show is the captain of the main antagonist team in this season. Okay. An absolute brilliant character because it's just somebody who isn't a star, but yet they're on with the best team and they're the captain of the supposed best team. Um, so they kept the matches progressing in interesting ways. Um, even if I could predict some of the endings to things, everything was executed really satisfyingly. There were uh-huh. huge emotional moments that were done cinematically. Um, and I, I recommend this show still, even though it's, it sounds dumb. It's a, it's a volleyball anime. anime. It, like, it keeps impacting me and, I, and I, I really like it. Okay, well, there we go. What a lovely, heartfelt way to end the show. James, thank you for your time. If you have seen this show, um, my, my girlfriend's written a couple of articles about it. Send me, ask, ask about them. I'll send them to you on Twitter. Even better. Or, James, send me the links and we'll tweet them out. Indeed. Okay. Well, all that remains for me to, to say, James, is thank you for a year of your, another year of your company. It's been great. Oh, I know. Like, I'm so glad we do this. Me too. Thank you. It's it's good fun. It's very good fun, and it it's all made even better by the fact that some people do actually listen. Yeah, crazy. And stuff. we appreciate every single one of you, wherever you are in the world. Really do appreciate it. And if you think there is someone in your life you could do with a dose of seesaw parade, then maybe maybe <laughs> we, if you like, uh, we, uh, suggest it to them. Seesaw parade, a little uh, another injection four <laughs> weeks later. It's ninety five percent effective. Okay, uh, thank you very much. We'll see you in the new year. Merry Christmas. Yeah, please let us know how your year has been. Please let us know what your hopes for the next year are. Uh, you're all appreciated. This is so cool that we still that we still get to like do five this. Five years, man. Crazy. Okay. Crazy. Cool. Merry Christmas, James. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. See you in the next one. Hug your pets. COVID-20. Here we come. <laughs> 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 <laughs>